We're turning to Psalm 121, which in the Black Bibles is on page 439. And in the Gold Bibles, that's on page 297. And I would love uh, for you to follow along as I read. This is God's word. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Would you pray with me again? Our Father, we, our minds are so many places right now, and yet what we need most desperately right now, what we need more than anything at this moment, is to hear from you, is to hear what you have to say to us, because we know that you love us, we know that you are good, we know that your words are perfect words, and so we, we want to hear what you have to say this morning, and so I pray that you would, that you would help our hearts, that you would help our ears, that you would help us to, to turn to you, to listen to your word, and to respond in faith. So please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm, I mentioned that Kim and I are going to be leaving in about four weeks, and one of the recurring conversations Kim and I have been having recently is about all the words we're going to have to stop saying when we move back because nobody's going to understand us when we get there. Things that we picked up here but mean nothing to Midwestern Americans. Uh, soon come, obviously. Shame in all its uses from the South Africans. Um, one, one of those, though, is physiotherapist. Physio which in America we say physical therapist, and I, we know there's going to be a time when we are talking about the physio and people are going to, they're going to think we mean some kind of carbonated beverage or something. They, just, they have no idea what a physio is. So we're going to pull that one out. But um, my, my wife's mother-in-law, or my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, has been going to a physiotherapist because she had knee surgery, and so they've been working with her to get her strength up. And one of the things that they're doing with her to recover the motion in her knee is they're putting her through um, range of motion exercises, right? So they have to extend the leg and then bend the leg and get it going that way, put it kind of around a bike pedal, get the, until the leg is ready to do those things on its own, kind of put it through the motions to strengthen it, okay? And you are wondering, where is he going with this? The Psalms are the range of motion exercises for your soul, the range of motion exercises for prayer. They, they take us through the motions of praying, of relating to God until it comes naturally to us. Because if you grew up in a Christian family, you might think, well, what could be more natural than prayer, right? It's just talking to God. What could be more natural than that? But if, if you become a Christian as an adult, you know it doesn't come naturally. You know you're supposed to pray, but you don't know what, what am I supposed to pray for? How, how am I supposed to pray? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? I'm, I just feel lost, and I don't want to ask anybody because it seems like everybody else knows what they're doing. It doesn't come naturally, and that's why God has given us this book of Psalms. It teaches us a language of prayer, right? So we, you saw up here that, so Kim and I, we have two boys, and then we have a daughter, four-month-old, and she, she's four months old. She doesn't talk, right? So, but we talk to her all the time. 
right? We, we ask her how her day was, and is she pooping, and how are you feeling? And we tell her about our day. We repeat her brother's names to her, so she picks those up so she has them when the time comes. Because we know that the way she's going to learn to talk to us is by us talking to her. We have to give her a language, right? The Psalms are that. The Psalms are God giving us a language for prayer, teaching us how to speak to him. The Psalms help us to pray. They help us to know how to, God with our, how to go to God with our joy and with our sadness and with our gratitude, with our doubts, with our anger even. They give us words to go to God in all the stuff of life. So the Psalms are here in your Bible to help you pray. Even the Psalms, like Psalm 121, which aren't even in the form of a prayer, right? That We read that that didn't address God directly. It's not a prayer to God, but it helps us to pray. This song, psalm is actually a song, right? It's a, you saw the, the title of it. It's a song of ascents. And Adam described what that meant last Sunday when he was preaching, that the psalms of ascent, the songs of ascent in the Bible were songs that the people of Israel would sing together as they were ascending to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in high ground. It was up in the, the hills and the mountains. And so as the people would go up to Jerusalem for the annual festivals, as they were going up, as they were ascending, they would sing these songs together. And it was, it was a way of tuning their hearts to remember who God is, getting, getting ready to praise him, ready to worship him, ready to enjoy him together, just remembering who God is for us, who he's going to be for us in the future. And so we're, we're taking one song, one of these psalms, each week for the next few weeks, and just seeing what they teach us about who God is for us, about what it, what it looks like to relate to him. And this song, Psalm 121, is a song of trust. It celebrates that God is, and this is a word it uses six times, our keeper, that he keeps us. And to understand what that means, we need to see in this passage one question and three assurances and the question comes almost directly out of these first two, the first verse. So look at verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The psalm invites, it opens by inviting us to ask that question of ourselves, which is where we'll start. Where, where does your help come from? Where do you look for help in trouble and uncertainty? Now remember, this, this song was being sung by people as they were going up to Jerusalem, as they were, as they were making their pilgrimage. And so you can, you can imagine them coming from kind of all over the area, heading towards this high ground of Jerusalem. And so as they're going, they're lifting up their eyes to the hills. That's where they're going. And as they lift up their eyes to the hills, that would fill them with both anticipation and fear. Anticipation because they know that once they're in Jerusalem, Everything is going to be well, right? They're going to be in this, this strong city with these great walls. They're going to be together with all their people. They're going to be near the temple where God's presence was. They, they would be really eager to get up to Jerusalem, but there would also be some fear because even though Jerusalem was safe, the hills around Jerusalem were not always safe. There were robbers in the hills along the roads waiting to kind of ambush you, right? When you're out in the open, you can see trouble a long way off, but in the hills, you might not see it till you come around a curve. You, some of you, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? A story Jesus told about a, a person who was attacked by robbers and left on the side of the road for dead. And Jesus tells us that that man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
This is not always a safe road. And so you've got these people on pilgrimage. They're going up to Jerusalem. They've probably got some money with them, money for lodging and for food and for offerings in Jerusalem. They've got their kids with them, very likely, and they know as they, as they lift up their eyes to the hills, they're coming into a dangerous part of their journey. So on the one hand, these hills, as the psalmist lifts up his eyes to them, it reminds him of his need for help. He's coming into a, an area where he, he needs protection, he needs keeping. But the hills also remind him that, that the help he needs, it can't be the help of getting into Jerusalem, right? Once he gets there, he'll be safe, but he, that's not the help he needs. The help he needs has to be something with him right now as he goes in his current life. And if we're going to be trained by this psalm, we need to see that we too need help and that we are also often tempted to look for help in the wrong places. We all need help. We're all experiencing in one way or another, to one degree or another, trouble trouble in the present, and uncertainty in the future. And we know that we don't have the ability to make everything turn out okay. We don't have that power. And the trouble is different for each one of us. So your business may be on the rocks. You may have just lost your job. Your marriage may have cooled and become distant, and you're wondering, can this thing be fixed? You might be sick and getting sicker, or maybe you're watching someone you love with a disease that that no doctor seems to be able to diagnose. Maybe you've been let down by someone you trusted. We need help in our trouble. And we need help in our uncertainty about the future, because we're all asking questions about what's going to happen. We wonder, what am I going to do when my contract ends? Am I going to get married? If I get married, am I going to stay married? Can I have kids? What's going to happen to my kids? Am I ever going to be able to retire? Who's going to take care of me when when I can't take care of myself? Am I ever going to feel better than I do right now? And when we face those things honestly, we have to admit that we have very little power over our present or our future. We are going to look somewhere for help, and often we look in the wrong places. We look to relationships. We say, "I'll, I'll be fine as long as I have my friends. I'll be fine as long as I have my spouse. We'll be fine as long as I have my kids. But, but those people don't have any more power over our life than we do. Or we look to money for help. We think, as long as I have my savings, I can, I can take care of whatever comes. Now, money's useful for a lot of things, but it can't buy certainty. Or we look for help in the form of distraction. We just throw ourselves into something we can control, like work or exercise or we just we fill our unoccupied time with entertainment to just kind of push away the worries or we numb ourselves with alcohol but no matter how we distract ourselves our trouble is still with us we all need help i hope we're never going to be the church that pretends everything is fine and we have it all together i'm glad the psalms are not like that we need help in our trouble and in our uncertainty so where are you looking When you're worried, what do you look to to reassure your heart that you're going to be okay? Maybe you're here because every other help you have tried has failed you, and religion is just kind of the last box to check on your list, your last attempt to find some peace. Every help will let you down except the one that the psalmist has found. Look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
The only help that won't fail us is the help that comes from God. And the psalmist gives us three assurances about what this God who helps us is like. And the first one is that God is unlimited in power. He said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, but my help doesn't come from the hills. My help comes from the one who made the hills. My help doesn't come from people. My, my help comes from the one who made all people. Whatever someone makes, he or she owns, right? We have to insist on this principle with our kids all the time. We say, your brother drew that picture, and if he wants to tear it up into little pieces, that's his right. It's his picture, but you don't have that right. You didn't make it, right? When you make something, you own it, and you rule it. So what did God make? Everything. He made heaven and earth. God rules everything. There's no part of creation about which God can say, I'm sorry, this isn't really my department. There's, there's nothing you can bring to God and he will say to you, my hands are really kind of tied here. You're going to have to speak to my manager. There's nothing like that. He rules everything. And, and we say that we believe this, right? We say that we believe, yeah, God, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He has all power. He rules all things. But do we? Do we believe that God can take care of everything in our lives? An easy way to tell is, is ask yourself, is my heart characterized by the kind of peace I see in this psalm? Because the psalmist has, he's such a restful confidence, doesn't he? He knows that God is his keeper, whether he's waking or sleeping, whether he's going out or coming in, whether it's now or in the future, he knows that God is keeping him. Do you have that kind of peace of heart? Or do you find yourself overwhelmed by fear? Unable to sleep at night. Your stomach just turned into knots by fear about what's going to happen. Look at these two verses again, right? He says, I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? He asks himself a question, and then he answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord. He's talking to himself, isn't he? He's, he's reminding himself of what's true. He looks up to these hills, and he says, all right, let's remember where my help comes from. I want to engage myself and remind myself What's going to be my help? Does my help come from the hills, from being safe in Jerusalem? No. My help comes from the Lord, who's with me just as much right here as he will be in there. The psalmist has to remind himself that the God of unlimited power is his helper. And so do we. So, you know, Kim and I, are, we're moving in four weeks, and so we've got lots of decisions to make, lots of things to check off our list. And one of the big ones is we have to find a place to live right, in Wisconsin, where we're going. We have to find a house to rent. And we've got these criteria, right? We've got to have enough bedrooms for our kids. We've got to uh, be in, a, in an area close to a good school. We've, we've got friends there. We'd like to get close to them. We've got, you know, Kim, after six years, with no dishwasher, wants a dishwasher. We've got all these things that we really want to find. And, and we look at our list and we think, are we going to find anything even close to what we want, right? We, it's, we're tempted to feel helpless. And so it's we have to remind ourselves of how big God is compared to the need we have, right? In my mind, I just kind of, I can picture the house and how small the house is in comparison with the town and how small the town is in comparison with Lake Michigan, which it's right next to, and how small Lake Michigan is compared to the world and the world to the universe. And God made everything. God can take care of a house. If he wants us to have it, 
It'll happen. If it doesn't, then it wasn't good for us anyway. But either way, I don't need to worry. My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. But our assurance isn't just in God's unlimited power. It's that he uses his power for us. Right? The second assurance is that God is unceasing in watchfulness. Look at verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now this is where he introduces that great word keep or keeper. God is our keeper. God is the one who keeps us. And it's, it's actually not bad to think of the keeper in football. Right? So what, what's the keeper do in football? The keeper in football defends the goal, right? Make sure she keeps everything out that's not supposed to come in, right? She's a defender. She's a guardian. That's what a keeper is, and God is our keeper. He watches over us, and his watchfulness is unceasing. The psalmist says, he who keeps you will not slumber. And that's, that's the kind of care we wish we could provide for our kids, right? Our daughter recently had, she had a cold, and so she would wake up in the night just coughing and gagging on mucus, and she was okay, like, her body was doing what it's supposed to do to get that stuff out of, but it was an awful thing to wake up to, and it was hard for my wife to go to sleep, knowing that that the baby was sick, because she didn't want to miss anything, right? She said, I would pay someone just to sit in this room and watch her while she sleeps so that I know that she's okay. We want, we want to provide this like 24-hour, unceasing care for our kids, and we can't. We're not unlimited. We have to sleep. We have other things to do. But God watches over us all the time. He never gets tired. He never nods off. He never needs a 2 o'clock coffee to kind of get him through the afternoon. His care is always at 100%. And that means we can have confidence, verse 3, that he will not let your foot be moved. So what's, what's the picture there? Remember that these pilgrims, they're going up into the mountains, right? They're going up into the hills, and there are places there where if your foot slips, you can take a really dangerous fall, right? A few years ago, my family and I on holiday, were, we were driving up to Mount St. Helens, which is this volcano in the northwest United States, and we were, it was raining, and we were on these roads where there's like this flimsy, it seems flimsy, guardrail, and beyond it, a drop-off of like hundreds or thousands of feet, right? When you're in the mountains, if your wheels slip, if your foot slips, you can really take a fall. And the psalmist says that God will not let your foot be moved. He won't let you slip. Now, this, this is not a promise that Christians are going to be divinely protected from tripping, right? My, my son Joshua, our six-year-old, on Friday fell down playing tetherball and scraped his knee, and I did not say, well, buddy, I guess we know you're not a Christian, because... <laughs> Christians, God doesn't let their foot slip. That's not what it's promising. It's a picture of a spiritual reality, right? If you, if you have been coming to Sunrise for a while, we, we looked at a psalm at the end of last year, late in December, Psalm 73, in which the writer Asaph said, he said, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So when he said, I had almost slipped, what did he mean? He meant he had almost fallen headlong into envy, into sin. So when, when the psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved, it means that God will keep you from falling headlong into sin, into a life dishonoring to him. He won't let you go that way. 
It doesn't mean we never stumble, but that in our stumbling, God won't let us go into a fall we can't recover from, right? When you're, when you're teaching your kids to walk, when your kids are learning to walk, you start by holding both of their hands, right? And then you graduate to holding one hand, and they walk alongside you, and they trip, right? But what do you do? You just you lift up on your hand, and they never hit the ground. And that's how God is with us. He walks beside us. He cares for us. It's not that we never stumble, but he doesn't let us go all the way down. He keeps us. But who's, who's the us? Who's the people that the psalmist is talking to? Right? He, did you notice that, that between verses 2 and 3, he changes how he's speaking? And in the, at the beginning, he's talking about himself. I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And then in verse 2, he will not let your foot be moved. So he's, he's doing something there. We don't know if it could be that he's just continuing this conversation with himself where he's saying, now listen, self, listen, soul, listen how God will keep you. Or it could be that he wrote this so that people on this road could talk to one another. They could remind one another of, of how God cares for them. But, but who's it for? Who is the you that can say, God is my helper? He tells us in verse 4, he who keeps Israel. So God, God doesn't promise to keep all people. He promises to keep his people. So who are his people? Well, at the time the psalmist was writing, his people were a people saved by grace. They were a people that he had, he had rescued out of slavery in Egypt. He had brought them to himself, given them a new life and a new relationship with him. And it's the same today. His people today are the people who are saved by grace. The people that he has brought out, not of slavery in Egypt, but slavery to sin and death. The people who have trusted in Jesus and come to God as Father. Those are his people and those are the people who he promises to keep. For those people, God provides this kind of care. He hasn't just forgiven us and then left us to fend for ourselves. He keeps us. He holds our hand to make sure our slip-ups don't become downfalls. So you may not feel like you know what you're doing in the Christian life. Like you still have a lot of baggage from your old life which you're struggling to get free from, and that's okay. If your trust is in Jesus, God is your keeper. He's your keeper not when you get your act together. He's your keeper now. And he watches over you in love without ceasing. And finally, God is unfailing in protection. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So the psalmist describes God as our shade, which is not a picture that may immediately connect with you. You may not immediately know what that's supposed to mean. So here's what it means. God is so close to you, he's right at your side, he's so close to you that you live in his shadow. That's how, that's how next to you he is. He's at your right hand. You live in his shadow. And he, he extends over you his protection so you are never exposed to any danger. He promises the sun shall not strike you, the moon shall not strike you. And all that means is day or night, God is protecting you. His shadow is over you. Nothing comes to you except through him. And so that means that in the morning, when you get up and you, having been dreaming all night, remember everything you have to do and the weight of the day just falls on you, God is keeping you then. And during the day, when the work is piling up faster than you can clear it out and you think, I'm never going to be able to leave, God is your keeper then. And in the evening, when you wonder, am I totally ruining my children? 
God is your keeper then. And in the middle of the night when you lie awake and you're just turning over in your mind all the questions about what's going to happen, God is your keeper then. Whether it's under the sun or under the moon, God is beside you and extending over you his sovereign protection. You are in his shade. Right? As, as Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now just look how comprehensive this care is in verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's from all evil. It's whether you're going out or coming in. It's things now. It's things to come. His care is complete. He's the ultimate keeper. His keeping has no weaknesses. Nothing gets through. Or does it? Some of you are saying, if nothing gets through, why is my child sick? Why can't I find a job? Why is this thing I've been praying about not getting better? If this is a promise that God will keep his people from all suffering, then it's just not true. Right? Abraham and Sarah suffered years of infertility. David, King David, suffered the loss of one infant son and two grown sons. Ruth, she had a happy ending with Boaz, but not before she lost her first husband. Her first husband died. Now, so let's assume for a moment that the psalmist knows all this. He's not making a promise that God's people won't suffer. So what is this promise? The promise, verse 7, is that God will keep you from all evil, from all harm. The promise is that if we live in his shadow, in his protection, nothing can come to us without passing through him that he's able to remove all the eternal harm from it and actually use it for our good. So as an example, let's think of Job, right? Job, from earlier in the Old Testament, Job was upright and blameless. He was blessed by God. And Satan came and accused him. He said, the only reason Job fears you, God, is because you're so good to him. If you will take away his blessings, he'll curse you to your face. And God let Satan bring awful suffering into Job's life. He lost all his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his children. But do you know what didn't happen? He didn't curse God. He didn't lose his faith. In fact, he came to God, he came to know God in a deeper and a truer way. God let the suffering come, but he took all the harm out of it. It didn't destroy Job. It it took him deeper into the greatness and the love of God. His foot wasn't moved. God is not nearly as concerned about making us comfortable as he is about making us eternally happy and holy. And he will bring suffering into our lives with all the harm removed to accomplish that. The promise is not perfect circumstances. The promise is God's protective presence in our circumstances. But if there's no guarantee that we won't suffer... If there's no guarantee that the thing we're afraid of won't happen, then how can we have a restful heart? How can we trust this God? We can trust him when we see what he's done to take all the harm from us. Let's think about this picture of shade, right? We can only live in God's shadow if he places himself between us and the danger, right? The only way for the sun and the moon not to strike us is for it to strike him, the only, way for, the only way for him to keep us from all harm is if the harm falls on him instead. And isn't that exactly what he's done in the cross? 
On the cross, Jesus took the ultimate harm. He took in himself the full wrath of God against our sins so that we can live in the shade of God's grace and his love and his favor. The only way for him to keep us from all harm was for the harm to fall on him. The way he protected our life was by voluntarily suffering the death that we deserved. A God who would send his son to die in our place is a God we can trust, even when we don't understand why he allows what he allows. When you know that the God who made the world loves you enough to give his son for you, that the God of infinite power is also the God of sacrificial love and that he set his love on you, then you can say, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Do you know this God? Is this God your God? Can you say, he's my help, he's my savior, he's my keeper? Do you know it? He's the keeper of everyone who has trusted in Jesus. And if that's you, you can face trouble and uncertainty with restful confidence in God our keeper. So in a a moment, we're going to pray together. I'm going to close in prayer. But before we do that, I want to take a moment for each of us to pray silently. I want to take a moment for us to ask ourselves, how do I need help? Where am I encountering trouble? Where am I fearful of uncertainty? Is Is it in your family? Is it in your work? Is it in your health? Where do you need God to be your help? Let's, let's call those things to mind. Just let's take a little time quietly, call those things to mind, and then entrust them to God's keeping. Can we do that? Can you bow your heads and let's pray silently? Our Father, each of us has trouble in this world, and you said that we would. Each of us has fears about the future over which we have no control. God, life is too much for us. And so we take such assurance that life is not too much for you, that you're the maker of heaven and earth, that you never sleep, you never slumber, you never blink, you never miss it, you always watch over your people, and that nothing can come to us except according to your purposes, that you will keep us from all harm, that you keep our life. And so we entrust to you the troubles of our life. We entrust to you our fears. We entrust to you our doubts. And we ask that you would today and this week and for our entire life be our keeper and keep our hearts at rest in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.